Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings, an audio program detailing and discussing the danger, depth, difficulties, diversions, dice, decadence, and drama of D&D. We're ever so pleased you're here. And welcome to Natural 20-somethings. I'm Olivia. And I'm Laurel. And uh, today we have a tricky topic, uh, gender bias and gender discrimination in world building. So we wanted to talk about the ways in which our own conceptions of gender and experiences with gender bias manifest themselves in our personal games. Uh, And not just our games, our games, worlds, and characters. It sort of seeps into everything. And specifically, we wanted to talk about why we sometimes choose to include bias and discrimination, despite it being, you know, kind of an unsavory thing and... There are, of course, certain boundaries to this and like hard no's that we have and certain lines we do not cross. But it's interesting to see that sometimes we do actually engage in these kinds of gender conflicts. So we wanted to talk about that. So as always, we have a quote from the uh, DMG. Every DM is the creator of their own campaign world. Whether you invent a world, adapt a world from a favorite movie or novel, or use a published setting for the D&D game, you make that world your own over the course of a campaign. The world is yours to change as you see fit and yours to modify as you explore the consequences of the player's actions. A well-designed and well-run world seems to flow around the adventures so that they feel part of something instead of apart from it. Consistency is key to a believable fictional world. So one of the things that's interesting about the selection of quotes that we've picked from the DMG is that they're not specifically about gender bias, but I think it's really important that we look into it in terms of gender bias because we do pick and choose what we want to include in our worlds. So with that in mind, Laurel, what aspects uh, of gender bias or discrimination do you, you introduce into the world of essentially any given game? Yeah, I this is this is almost like the unanswerable question because I feel like it is there there is a very sort of like low level baseline of gender bias that is inherent in like literally everything that any human being on the planet does ever. <laughs> you know, so like I inevitably will introduce gender bias into a world purely based on the fact that like I am a human being who exists in reality and I can't completely divorce myself from my own biases. So they'll leak into the game. But something that I have like, you know, I, I for me it's almost easier to start with like my hard nose. You know, it's like for me, if I'm playing a game, I am never going to have anybody discriminated against because of their gender or sexuality. Like that straight up isn't going to happen. You're not going to walk into a tavern with like two men who are in a relationship, <laughs> like a gay relationship and have the bartender be like, we don't serve your kind here out. Like absolutely not. I'm not doing that. But I do have characters who there is this sort of like inherent gender or sexuality discrimination in their backstory of like they are somewhat of a a gender anomaly in wherever they're from and never really quite fit in. And so that's like why they left. And I think that it's interesting to sort of apply it to specific characters in specific situations rather than like a systemic holistic world thing. You know, like this isn't the case everywhere. Obviously, this person has, you know, found somewhere to fit in, though. So coming from home, it might not be as intense. That I don't know that that sentence made sense. <laughs> I don't know, but I I get what you're saying. It's it's 
It's more a philosophical problem, I think, than anything else. You know, because on the, I, I think, I feel like on the surface, and I do this too, I have a lot of characters who often have this like anger fight the system kind of thing to them, and they're often like gender biases, but that's not always in the world itself. And I don't know, I find for me, a big motivating factor in my life is sort of like stick it to the man, <laughs> which, you know, it's an interesting way to live. I don't recommend it, but I kind of project that motivation onto other characters. But when you break it down, it's like, okay, if there's no gender discrimination or if there's no discrimination against sexuality, why are there still gender stereotypes? Why do people feel like a gender anomaly? I think that's an interesting sort of philosophical question, but one that I don't necessarily think has to be solved. No, and I don't think it can be solved. I think it's it's interesting that like certain characters exist in like this microcosm of discrimination where it's like I'm from a small town and you know they didn't like that I was a very effeminate boy or whatever and then you know you go to the big city or you start the adventure of the campaign and like nobody gives a rat's ass it's kind of like you know while that doesn't affect the game necessarily it does affect how your character moves through the world and the way that they like treat other people in similar situations or like react to the way that people react to them I think I think that is what um is the most informed by you know an aspect of gender bias would be like the way that my character behaves and 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 so I think that in that sense maybe it's less in the world and more in individuals because I do think too like I'll have NPCs who are like will dislike someone based on you know something incredibly superficial and stupid but like they're not the good NPCs (laughs) you're obviously supposed to pin this person as a villain and you know move on from that there's a almost a shorthand for you're not supposed to like this person and it can be handy but I, I do think it's interesting I, I you know talking about the hard nose um, one of the things that I think about a lot is uh, one of the games that we play in the DM at one point she's very good about asking for feedback and will check in with us periodically and she asked us for you know our hard nose where do we draw the line here but she also did ask like hey I have you know themes of uh, discrimination and you know specifically about sexuality is that okay with you all and that's inherent to the plot that she's got going I don't know how but I remember her asking about it and I'm (laughs) endlessly curious but um I, I think it's about we say this a lot but it's about that often unspoken contract but I think this is a case in which a spoken contract can really benefit the table yeah I agree and I, I think to to a degree and I think we've talked about this a lot on this podcast that like engaging with these really difficult topics in a fantasy setting can be very cathartic in the sense that like you can engage with it at a certain level of dissociation where like you are emotionally invested and involved but it's not happening to you in your real life but it's also also, your character has power within the narrative and within the world to affect real change and to like change the minds of bigots and change, you know, like discriminatory systems like that. That feels very powerful to me. And I like engaging with that. But at the same time, if somebody doesn't, then I'm not going to introduce that into the game. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's all about player responsiveness. You know, are they responding to these cues or I don't know. I do think it's a good idea to have sort of like the default be you're in a safe space kind of thing. But like you were saying, I really, really agree with that, you know, 
it feels good to have power over, you know, big cultural problems like this. And I think on the opposite end of the spectrum, there is a level of like my own gender bias that I bring into my world building where I'll be like, fuck the patriarchy. Yeah. (laughs) This is a matriarchal society, beach. Like, or, you know, I'll invent a society where they don't have gender. (laughs) Because I'm just like, no, we're not going to bother with that today. Like, I I react to things from the real world and, you know, quote unquote, fix the problems that I see very often in the, like, political systems that I set up. I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing this here. (laughs) Like, no kings, thank you, goodbye. Like, that's just how I am. And I think, like, that in and of itself is a form of gender bias that I bring into the game is my own dislike of things and desire to see you know women in power (laughs) right i don't know if i've seen a true like capital v villain from you that's a woman it's kind of interesting (laughs) i engage with them very rarely i think that they they interest me i think that like i am by no means a proponent of like well you can't have a woman villain because you can't make a woman evil like i think that's bullshit like you can and should have female villains because women are complex and have interesting motivations and it makes them more fascinating exactly no it's true i i definitely i i tend to steer away from them and i that's not explicitly true of like me and every creation that I've ever created, but it is definitely true in D&D. There's something about villainous women in D&D that it it becomes very easy for me personally. I don't want to speak for everybody on this, but it, it becomes very easy for me to just sort of like slot them into the big sexy witch kind of like I'm so evil and villainous and I can turn into a snake like that's just I'm I'm not interested in that like if I I I think I think that's the thing is that for me the the villainous women stereotypes of fantasy are I don't like them and I haven't figured out um how to engage with that at a level that feels rewarding to me yeah I think one of the things that D&D constantly offers and what I like about it is it offers opportunity to make archetypes more complex like if you come like for instance as a player if you come in with a specific character like for instance I came in with um a like second daughter princess kind of character who just wanted to be a general and wasn't allowed to because of her gender but as it went on the world didn't have that sort of gender discrimination explicit and so I had to work with that and make her more complex and more interesting and that motivation became so nuanced in a way that I don't think we get in a traditional story because you just simply don't have the time but D&D you're sitting there for like four hours a session and you're living in these characters and you're like living and breathing and walking and talking with them and it's they become real in a way that I think is really satisfying and can help examine your own biases in their creation. Like they become more than their tropes. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that that's something that makes it particularly tricky with like a big bad is that most of the time your party's not going to be like hanging out with them a whole bunch. Like they're around certainly and their presence is felt, but like the big bad tends to, I think, get sort of like smushed down into that stereotype by necessity of you don't spend as much time around them and you have to have those very easy to pick up signals of like evil. defeat evil you know well and that's kind of what people want too at least I do when I go into a fantasy game I want a big bad that's really easy to pin as a big bad and that you don't feel guilty for beating senseless like (laughs) Olivia's thirst for violence knows no bounds it truly doesn't (laughs) at the dinner table today I was like I am a woman of simple needs I like swords and explosions direct quote from me I also like crowns 
I'm complex. <laughs> yeah, it's the crowns that make it complex. <laughs> and I think we've already talked about this, but I want to move on to our next question. Um, and so how do the characters in the world reflect the bias that we've that we all inherently have? I think I think they they almost reflect it unconsciously. I don't I don't think that we often I don't go into any given D and D game being like time to explore my gender bias like I don't I don't think about it on a conscious level it's just something that inherently comes out in the worlds that I build and in the characters that I create and I think I think it's interesting to have people who operate on this like assumed level of I have been discriminated against at some point in my life in a world that is not currently actively like disparaging them it it is it it creates a level of like really personal investment and personal growth for that character or like that world in general why why include bias at all <laughs> you know again some of it and this this is not a cop out necessarily i think a lot of it is unconscious i think it just squeaks in like and and that is something that we have to forgive ourselves for like y- no one is a perfect person and you cannot be on perfect patrol all of the time you can't live with that guilt it will kill you no yeah like you're going to say and do some shitty things and like things that are shitty are going to happen to your character i have plenty of things that have happened to my characters that i'm i still think about because they legitimately bother me like it it irritates me that this was allowed to happen to this character and so you know i think there there is a level of risk when it comes to like you know why include bias if there is this risk i genuinely like to engage with it i i think that i am a person who enjoys conflict <laughs> i am especially a person who enjoys like interpersonal conflict in fiction not in my real life if you bring interpersonal conflict into my real life i will i will I will be so upset with you. <laughs> like I, I do not keep people around who cause drama because I don't like it. But I get, I get my sort of like drama fix, I guess, off of these fictional worlds and these fictional characters that I can then project onto. So for me, I think it is a healthy way to engage with something that is difficult to engage with in the real world and often unhealthy to engage with in the real world. What about you? I agree with a lot of what you're saying as well. And I think some of it is very conscious for me. Like I go into it going like, I'm going to prove them wrong, blah, 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 you know, Mm -hmm. pretty typical, like I am a strong woman with a sword. Like, (laughs) yeah, I like my women with swords. What can I say? But it's, it's about story structure, I think. And this is no, I'm not knocking on anybody else's games, uh, gameplay style, but I like conflict. I think it's an interesting way to engage with story. And there are amazing stories that you can engage with that don't have it. Like you think of like cozy games like Stardew Valley, but I don't want to play a cozy game when I play D&D. And we've talked about this before, but there is violence inherent in the system. Sorry, <laughs> couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that hurt me a little bit, but also I enjoyed it greatly. (laughs) (laughs) There's violence inherent in the structure of the gameplay. There's a reason why combat is a whole section. There's a reason why we enjoy combat. And not everybody does, but I feel like my enjoyment of engaging with gender bias is kind of similar to this enjoyment of engaging with violence of a fictional kind because bias is violence I do think we should you know say that outright it's important to say and again there are some like hard no's that I absolutely have like I refuse to play any games that engage with themes of sexual assault oh yeah absolutely not (laughs) that is the biggest no for me but I think that's because 
as someone who is raised as a woman, as someone who identifies as a woman and presents as a woman, that is a very real threat to my everyday life that I do not feel comfortable engaging with. However, the sort of like esoteric like, oh, I'm a princess not allowed to be a general, so I'm gonna go and become a mercenary with a sword is a different kind of violence that feels safe to engage with. And I feel like I'm repeating a lot of what you're saying, but a lot of this is conscious for me. Like I sit down thinking about this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, what kind of gameplay do I want? I want conflict. I want bias. I want to fight against it and win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think too, it, it bears saying that like, we are not giving instructions to anyone of how to play D&D. Like play this game however you want. And if it is like, a, a like any discrimination or bias of any kind is like the biggest no for you, then don't put it in your game. <laughs> like if it is not going to enhance your gameplay, don't use it. But it is something that like I look for and I intentionally add to some degree. And so I think like that is, that is something that I enjoy personally. And I understand people who do not. Like if you if you want to sit down and play a cozy game, you want to run a tavern with your friends in D&D, do it. <laughs> like I, 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 I'm not going to be the person to be like, you're playing the game wrong. Like I don't care. But I do think that if it's something that, you know, interests you, you know, getting to a level of, you know, small introductions of this where you're comfortable with it and it's, it is beneficial to you to engage with these themes, give it a shot. I think the takeaway from this is is about agency and it's about choice. I think the quotes that we uh, pulled from the DMG really talk about how the world is your creation. You can choose what to include and that's really powerful and I think that's part of why we choose to engage in gender bias at all because it's safe because we don't have to if we don't want to. There's that choice there. We don't have that choice in real life but we have that in our games and I think having that agency is why we play. It's why we love it. C-R-E-E-C-H-U-R, Creature Corner. Uh, There is no better way to introduce today's creature than with this quote from Volo. The creature I seek is legendary, my friends, a fiend that few have seen in which fewer still have survived, an unclean scourge never meant for this world, the abyssal chicken. (laughs) I I (laughs) have been so excited for this. I have been thinking about this for a literal month. I I think I I, I need to have, give a disclaimer of the fact that I fucking love chickens. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. She has a chicken purse. I have a chicken purse. <laughs> I think chickens are so funny. I love everything about chickens. So I I definitely have a bias towards this abyssal chicken. Um, to give you a a sort of you know visual description of this you know nasty creature, uh, they are small fiends native to the abyss. Uh, they have meat-like leathery bodies with mouths full of sharp fangs and wings that are folded upwards, which gives their bodies a teardrop shape. Um, they are truly vile to look upon. Um, but there is just some. I do kind of wish that they had beaks, like. If it had a beak, that would really bring it home for me. A beak with teeth. A beak with a beak with teeth, like the goose from the fourth Shrek movie. <laughs> Your mind. <laughs> 
It is truly, it's truly hideous. I specifically, I've heard about this creature and I started laughing so hard and I refused to look up what it looked like until this episode. I also did the same when I was doing the prep. I, I That was the first time I'd, I'd laid eyes on an abyssal chicken. So Olivia, given that this is your first time seeing an abyssal chicken, what are your first impressions? Vile, but in the best way. <laughs> like you look at that and you go, you go, you vile little chicken. Like, it's not a funky little chicken like most chickens are. This is a vile little chicken. I do agree about the beak. It needs it needs a beak. It need it has a beak-shaped head for, for clarification, but I I think that a beak would really bring it home, the chickenness of it. I think that uh I don't know. Like it, it almost feels kind of bat-like to me. Like if, if you took a bat's wings and folded them up above its body and then put some chicken legs on it. That's what it looks like to me. The the most chickeny part of this whole creature are the feet, which are the most horrifying part of any chicken, normally anyway. <laughs> the dinosaur parts, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> I will say, as a vegetarian, this revolts me. There was a Volo quote that was also about like, you know, he tried to tame one and was like, you know, patting its meaty body or something like that. I was like, my guy, my dude, Volo, no. Like, this is not a visual that I need. Like, I... The, the way that its skin is textured makes me think that it would not be pleasant to touch. Like it would, it would mm-hmm. not be. It's not like a sphinx cat, you know. It's just, it's just. It looks like a plucked chicken, which you know they have those little chicken skin pimples. Yeah, that's why we call it goose flesh. Like the goose from the fourth Shrek movie. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the fourth Shrek movie. I think I gave up after number three. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't know why I've seen the fourth Shrek movie, but I remember the goose very distinctively. That's the only thing I remember about that movie. (laughs) It's the goose. Oh my god. Yeah, this is not a creature, you know. Chickens, I would have as a pet. They'd be menaces, absolutely. But they'd be fun pets. This is not a creature I would want as a pet. This is a creature that I would want chasing my little brother. (laughs) mean i that's that's a good uh i my my next question is if domesticated what uses could they serve a brother terrorizer is a good one yes exactly um donating their bodies to science (laughs) for study and profit i i feel like they would genuinely make good guard animals like if you had a, a bunch of chickens and you plopped an abyssal chicken down in the chickens like you your fucks problems are gone like you that there will not be hide nor hair of a of a hound or a coyote coming near your chicken coop if you've got an abyssal chicken in there. It's true. I just when you said that, I didn't think about a fox. I thought about you just having a host of guard chickens and one of them was an abyssal chicken and a robber walks in and it's just like I could deal with chickens when an abyssal chicken walks up <laughs> and he's like, Nope. This isn't a situation in which I'm farming and have chickens. It's a situation in which I have chickens protecting my house. I'm sorry. That's that was my first thought, and I I don't what? know. What? I feel like this is specifically attached to who I am as a person. Like if anyone else had proposed this, that is not where your mind would have. But because it's me, I would have guard chickens. I think you would. Yeah, you'd feed them too much, so they'd be really fat guard chickens. But oh, I wouldn't feed them unless they wanted to eat a lot. <laughs> which they do because they're chickens <laughs> i have a fat cat i can't i can't talk my cat weighs so much and that's my fault but uh laurel does it pass the vibe check this passes my vibe check real good there there are a few changes i would make but from from one chicken lover to a chicken i say a plus you heard it here folks <laughs> 
I'm the chicken authority, damn it. I feel like it, you need a gavel that makes a chicken noise when you hit it. Like one of those squeezable chickens. Oh, but I don't I don't want it to make the squeezable chicken noise. I want it to make like a really loud like. That was such a good chicken noise. I'm good at chicken noises, okay? All right, for the for this outro, can you make chicken noises? Okay, we're done. <laughs> everything I wanted. (laughs) Look, we know we're not supposed to pick favorites, but we did. Okay, Laurel, what is your favorite weapon type? This 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 is the easiest question in the world to answer for me, and I also feel like kind of a cop-out, but that's because I'm a sword bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love swords so much. Oh God, that swords are so cool. Like, I I love a sword. I love a long sword. I, I love fancy swords. I love giving my character swords with names. Like, I am all about that sword life. I recognize that that is, like, quite literally the most boring weapon to choose is the long sword, but oh, baby! Oh, baby, I love it. Listen, it's pretty cool. There's just, I have this weird thing where it's like in every video game I ever play ever where you have like a choice of weapons, it's it's the sword. And it is not just because like I like it better aesthetically. It is like mechanically the sword cooperates with me on every game I've ever played ever. And for some reason that includes D&D. Like a long sword, give me that D8. Give it to me. I'll roll great every single time. I don't know why. See, when I use a longsword, it's a D10 because I'm special. I'm a <laughs> No shield for me. Just my fists of fury. <laughs> anyway, my favorite weapon type is also a sword, but I'm going to get more specific because I'm better than you. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's a great sword. I, how did I know? Oh my god, it's almost like you see me play characters with great swords all the fucking time. Actually, I only think I have one right now. <gasps> I need to fix that. Anyway. I love the greatsword because, first of all, just just think about it. Think about a very buff woman with a very large sword. Let it let it sit with you for a moment. <laughs> we, we should lead like a, a zen exercise, like a meditation. Picture a woman. The buffest woman you can picture. Her muscles are very good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me to lead meditation. I can't do it. I will laugh every time. As a meditation exercise, the great sword, great to think about. It has great in the name. How can you not love it? But the actual reason I love it as much as I do in the context of D&D is that mechanically, I can break it so bad. <laughs> so if you're a fighter, you can take a weapon style called great weapon fighting, and it allows you to reroll ones and twos on damage die for two-handed weapons. Now there is the, I think it's the battle axe, which is a d12, which is of course the highest damage die that you can roll. However, with a great sword, it is 2d6. So if you take great weapon fighting, you can re-roll ones and twos on either of the damage die. So on average, your damage goes up by a lot. I cannot tell you how many times I've re-rolled ones and gotten sixes. It's truly amazing. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. It did feel like a TED Talk a little bit. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Wrapped attention. Mm-hmm. That was very quiet. But anyway. Swords. Sword bitches.
has inspired you this week? For inspiration, I wanted to talk about a table that I don't think I have yet talked about uh, on this podcast yet. We are currently playing Monster of the Week. And um, while this is something that like I did, the thing that was like meaningful to me or inspiring to me about it was the way that the player uh, received it. Uh, there was a... <laughs> She her character's like 16. My character's 34. They should not be friends. They are. Um, And I think the thing about it that makes the relationship very sweet is that my character genuinely values what hers brings to the table in an environment talking about gender bias, uh, which does not seem to value the contributions of a 16 year old girl. Like she gets constantly devalued in that world at that table. And there was a big thing that happened last night with my character's sister where she like, you know, just went off on this player character. And I stepped in and I was like, absolutely not. Like, you have to value her and what she contributes or, like, you need to walk out of this room right now. And the player was like, oh. (laughs) She was, like, so, like, not like, oh, thank you, Laurel, but, like, oh, that's so sweet. And I was like, I love that we're friends. So that's that's my story of, of inspiration this week is just that like and I think that fits very well with the gender bias theme. Ironically, I didn't even think about that, that like she she needed somebody to go to bat for her because she contributes. Damn it. <laughs> you have value. I love Julia. She crazy. <laughs> Aww, well, what a wonderful note to end on. Thank you, dear listener, for lending your ears. May the stories you tell be grand and humble in equal measure. May the characters you meet be brimming with adventure. And may the chances you take lead to some natural twenties. 